0: Hello everyone and welcome to the I Belong Here podcast. Please join us on this journey as we will navigate the world meeting fantastic women who are real scientific role models. Together, we wish to inspire the next generation of girls who dream about being scientists. Look out for our male ambassadors too, as they do believe in the representation women deserve and earn in science. Stay tuned for amazing guests, check out the podcast description for credits and acknowledgements and don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram to stay up to date with our latest episodes.
1: And she said don't you change, but I can't have these thoughts up in my brain, yeah. She breaking me down, she me.
2: Hi everyone. I'm Sean, and with me is Joe.
1: Hey everyone, it's really good to be here.
2: Uh, we're both PhD students uh, in the same lab as the host of the show, uh, Dr. Noelia Falcon, and in this interview, uh, this first episode, we'll be interviewing her.
1: Yeah, it's really exciting to uh, to be a part of this. Today, we're going to find out a little bit more about Noelia, about what her research is, what what makes her tick, how she got involved with this and um, any obstacles and how you know, she sort of overcome this. So It's going to be really exciting.
2: Yeah, I agree. Uh, to provide a bit of an introduction, uh, so everyone is aware of who we're talking to. Uh, she's a senior research associate uh, in the School of Pharmacy at the University of East Anglia. Uh, Noelia, would you like to tell us a bit more about your research and your field of expertise?
0: Hey, guys. Uh, thank you so much for accepting to interview me as well and for being here today. <laughs> I really appreciate uh, you're it. You're welcome.
1: <laughs> no
2: problem. Eh?
0: <laughs> yes. Um, so just to provide a little background of what I work at the moment, uh, I work in the School of Pharmacy at the UEA, like Sean said, and I work in Dr. Aram Said's lab. We are basically a tissue engineering lab, which means that In our lab, we create materials uh, made of different polymers or uh, pieces of material that we create in a big uh, shape of material. We fabricate them throughout different methods, such as 3D printing or small particles. And our main intention with this is to use these materials to place them in a site of injury in uh, humans. The full purpose of this will be for regenerative medicine, which means that we want to regenerate a particular tissue, uh, whereas if it's throughout the introduction of uh, active molecules or stem cells, which uh, then later on we can differentiate them uh, to different types and then those stem cells will uh, regenerate the host tissue that we try to improve with uh, our different fabrication methods.
2: Sounds really exciting. It sounds like it's got a lot of Um, you know potential to be have a tangible impact on people right you know it it sounds like it go it could go straight into the clinic you know and make an impact on patients lives what were your motivations for getting into that kind of field
0: well that's a really interesting question because I just came across the tissue engineering field like halfway through my career if you want I can tell you a bit uh, how was my story until this point
1: Yeah, it would be quite interesting actually to to hear about how you started and how you ended up in in such a kind of new and thriving field like tissue engineering. So yeah, how did you get involved in science?
0: (laughs) That's really interesting. Uh, So I did, as as my undergrad, I did marine science. Uh, I think I was a bit of a hippie back then (laughs) when I decided (laughs) to do my degree. Uh, Don't get me wrong, it was a really interesting degree. It was more, so I did my undergrad back in Spain, in my country. And in Spain, we, uh, in terms of marine science, we have like marine biology and then marine science. Marine biology is more focused in like animal biology, preservation of the ecosystems, etc. Whereas marine science, which is the undergrad that I did, is more towards like applied science uh, focused around the sea if that makes sense. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I did a lot of physics. My uh, physics exams used to last for four hours just doing calculations and then <laughs> well, predicting the tides. Sounds like and, the worst. <laughs> oh yeah, it was really, really intensive. We used to predict the the tides and the, the waves and all those kind of things. I did a lot of chemistry of fluids. Um, we did a lot of maths. So it was more like applied science focused around the sea. So I did learn a lot, but I was missing the practical application of my degree. So I thought that it was more like a a marine preservation target, which don't get me wrong, it's amazing. And I I am all about that. But in terms of my career, I was always the one waiting in the lab to like get the samples, you know, and analyze them rather than going out to the sea and get the samples. (laughs)
1: Okay. Yeah, yeah.
0: So I was always in the lab waiting to do analysis and I was really missing practical application of the science or lab work, basically. Mm -hmm. And towards my fifth year, because in in Spain, when I did my degree, the undergrads were, uh, the undergrad degrees were five years long. Towards my fourth or fifth year of degree, we had a subject that it was um, how to use marine natural products to create medicines for humans. and that subject lasted for just like one month two months and it was super Mm -hmm. interesting to me because I was like so hang on people take products or molecules from the sea and Mm -hmm. then they do medicines out of them like to treat cancer or Mm -hmm. whatever disease so for me that was super interesting and that's how I came across like the world of pharmacology um Mm -hmm. so like I said, my degree was really science-based, like marine science-based, but I thought I was missing a lot of uh, background in terms of human diseases, um, even like basic chemistry, molecular biology, biology. Mm -hmm. I was missing all of that. So when I finished my degree, I I knew that I wanted to go towards the biomedicine uh, aspect of science, but I was missing a lot of background. So I applied... Yeah, sorry.
1: <laughs> yeah, no. So I'm saying, so I agree because I've sort of noticed, like, you know. So is it? Would it be fair to say that in your, um, at that point you sort of realized that oh, I actually want to take my science and do things that can have maybe more impact towards like health and medicine, and that was sort of the turning point in in your in your career.
0: Yes, I was really missing that point of view. And I, to be honest, I I knew since my undergrad that I wanted to do G S D and continue my career science, uh, my science career in academia. So I could maybe go for G S D or like an internship, but I thought I was missing a lot of background to be, Mm. to be able to actually success in those positions. So that's why I applied for my second, um, for my second, uh, part of my career, which he was my master's. But I think Sean has a question for me. So, yeah,
2: yeah. So, I mean, it sounds, I mean, the first field sounded really interesting, you know, working <laughs> in marine biology, uh, it's a very worthwhile field, especially, I think it's mm. been highlighted the importance of it nowadays with, you know, climate change being brought to the forefront of everyone's minds. Yeah. Um, now you mentioned, obviously, that you made that transition uh, to pharmacology. Um, And clearly it's worked out. But did you find it challenging making the jump between fields? Because, you know, they're quite different.
0: So uh, also linking with what Joe was saying at the beginning about what challenges NOE has come across, I will say that this was the biggest challenge and challenge I've had in my career. Um, So when I applied to my master's, my master's was in biomedicine and the master that I did was two years long. The first year was lectures and then the second year you do an internship in whatever place you want to do the internship in. It could be uh, a lab in a hospital or it could be a lab of a lecturer that had a lab around the university. And I was really sure of my decision because I knew that the master's was really complete in terms of uh, human knowledge, uh, molecular biology, immunology, etc., etc., But when I came to my first lesson, to my first lecture in the master's, I know I'm never going to forget that because it was a molecular biology lecture and every one of my class was coming from a biology or a biotechnology background. Mm. I was the only one from a different field and a very different field. So, you know, the type of thing in the first lecture that the lecturer wants to know everyone and we all introduce ourselves, there was not a single lecture when I was saying, oh, my name is Noelia and my undergrad was in marine science, everyone was just looking at me like, are you lost? Like, <laughs> are what you are you doing room? here? So first I had a lot of challenges in terms of opinions from people. Some people took it well, like my friends from the masters, they they loved that I decided that because I think I was really persistent throughout my masters in terms of studying and then, you know, passing my exams, et cetera. But others, they really never understood what I was doing there. Um, I know I had my purpose, so I fight Mm -hmm. for it. But it was really challenging um, also because one of the things that I like about my master's is that um, the knowledge was really based on scientific papers and the lecturers were always giving us links to papers to read about that particular subject that we were learning that day in the lecture Mm -hmm. when i arrived to my masters i never read a scientific paper i didn't know i didn't know what a scientific a scientific paper was and Mm. in my undergrad we barely did anything in english and when i went to my masters everything was in english like the papers so Mm. first i encountered the language barrier in Spain unfortunately we really don't practice English uh, unless you go outside the country Um, and then when I was reading those papers maybe one paper it took me one day to read not because it was long (laughs) it was because I had to google every single Mm. word first because of the language and then because of the context like I barely knew what a DNA sequence was or Mm -hmm. what an enzyme was doing in the cell I mean I didn't know anything about that so it was really really challenging only in the the lectures also no
1: sorry just for the listener as well if anyone's listening who's sort of I don't know at like a school leaver's age who hasn't had any kind of contact with scientific papers do you want to expand (laughs) what uh, publications and what scientific papers are like because I knew I didn't see one until I was kind of Within my degree, and they yes. were pretty scared the first time uh, oh. I encountered them. Could yours expand on on uh, what exactly that that is?
0: Um. Yes. Um. You mean like what did I thought about the papers?
1: Yeah, and also just because obviously you see, so you had to to read quite a lot. But some people listening might not even know what a scientific paper kind of like what is. it is.
0: Yes. Well, scientific paper is like a short piece of documents that um, one or several authors, they write about a specific discovery that they have made in their fields. It could be like a proof of concept or it could be like a real breakthrough in science. Um, Mm -hmm. That piece of work gets collected in different pieces. Generally, you write a small introduction to to state to the audience or to the readers what the paper is going to be about. And you kind of contextualize the field of your work. Then the second part, you will kind of explain how you did the work, what uh, chemistry did you use, what reagents, what compounds, whatever. And then you explain how you did those experiments. And then you present your results. Usually we do in scientific papers, you will find images or you will find graphs that explain your results and that's where the readers will try to understand what you have done and what are you telling me from these Mm -hmm. results and then you will go to explain those results so i'm telling the readers what these bar graphs or these images mean and then i will conclude the paper by saying what i have extracted from this work what's the take-home message that I want you to keep yeah. and perhaps what's next in the future yeah. in terms of this paper.
1: Yeah so th- this is like the, that high level academic stuff and, yeah and I can't even imagine I, I was scared reading them in English. <laughs> in English problem. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to have to kind of adapt during your masters you know a time when you're being sort of questioned like you don't people are unsure of like oh how are you going to cope with that transition and you're reading all these papers in a different field to what you trained in and in a different language to what you've learned so even that that's huge challenges just during your master's like and it's really impressive yeah
2: and 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 also following on from that I mean obviously the language barrier is one thing um Mm. and getting used to publications is another did you find any other how how was your experience otherwise you know moving from working in a lab environment in Spain to working in the UK obviously you're away from home it's mm. a completely new environment you've never done it before and suddenly you're just thrust into this you know high level yeah. work Um, how, how did you find it other than the language side of things?
0: Well like I was saying that first year of lectures on the master was really challenging at the end I got used to that and I kind of catapulted my knowledge in reading papers and actually passing exams (laughs) about (laughs) them Um, so that was really challenging uh, but it was only lectures then my second challenge was my internship I knew that I wanted to start throughout pharmacology because I wanted to learn about the application of different medicines into human diseases and see what those medicines they could do so you could basically ask for your internship whenever you want, whatever whatever you want, as long as the lab accepts you. And my hometown is Valencia. But I knew about, I came across a pharmaceutical company that is based in Madrid, the capital of Spain, which is the only pharmaceutical company in Spain that they do marine natural products for uh, anti-cancer compounds. Uh, and they do the whole pipeline. They, they go to take the animals, they extract the compounds and they check that they are actually able to synthesize them in the lab to avoid, you know, like keeping extracting animals from the sea because that's not sustainable. So they extract the compounds from one animal. They check if they can uh, synthesize them in the chemistry lab and then they investigate the mechanism of action. They investigate the targets in different cancer cell lines and then they do advanced in vivo treatments to create that medicine. So that was fascinating to me. Uh, So I applied for a position there and they took me on board. Um, Let me tell you that that was even more challenging than the lectures uh, (laughs) because on my first day of the lab, I didn't even know how to hold a P1000
1: pipette. (laughs) I didn't even know how
0: to put the numbers on it. I didn't know what what was that, Uh, Mm -hmm. let alone pipette or do anything different. Um,
1: I still question myself now. (laughs) I've been doing this
2: for a while. You have to do a a quick Google every time
0: you trust Uh, me. (laughs) (laughs) So, but my project was amazing. Uh, I was trying to investigate the... Uh, You know, when you have uh, chemotherapy, some people, they are resistant to that chemotherapy. And even if that chemotherapy is really effective for that type of cancer that that person has, that person, for whatever reasons, it might develop a resistance to that chemotherapy. So treating that cancer is really difficult. So in my small project that was eight to nine months long, I was trying to investigate the pathways throughout different cancer cell lines, they might be resistant to those, uh, to those drugs. Uh, And it was, it included a lot of molecular biology techniques, a lot of microscopy, a lot of cell culture uh, in the lab. It was more like molecular biology type of thing. So that was really, really challenging for me. Like I said, I didn't even know how to hold a pipette, let alone uh, culture a cell line. Or, I mean, now I cannot live without my cell culture experiment. So <laughs> it tells you about how to overcome those challenges as well. I just basically had to study a lot, um, read even more papers, like practical papers, methods papers. And I found two research technicians in that lab and they helped me massively. They show me everything, how to hold a pipette, how to position a flask in the hood And ironically, this is what I try to do now with my students. I mean, Joe, I trained you in in cell culture (laughs) and I was even trying to tell you how to hold a pipette, you know, how to put the flask inside the hood. uh, Because these things, like I went to that lab without knowing anything. And those people, they treat me like it was okay. You know, nobody was judging me. And they tried to make me feel comfortable, even just by holding a flask, which it might sound super silly, but you are so scared of that high yeah. environment. And I was in industry. And I will say that industry was way more intimidating than sometimes academia can be. Imagine, um yeah. So that was that was great. I love my project. I love my time in that industry. I learned so much. That's where I established my uh, cell culture techniques, molecular biology, et cetera. Um, but then like, I knew that I wanted to do GSD from back then. It was one of my dreams, not because of the degree. It was more because what APGESD can bring you, um, like personal growth, uh, academic growth, and things like that. And that's when I started to come across um, people who were judging me because of my decisions. They were like, well, you come from this marine biology background, you have this small internship, like there's no way you're going to get in a biomedicine GSD because you, in Spain, I think this is something different from the UK. In Spain, you do need a lot of background and training before going into your GSD. There is no way you will go into a PhD without your master's. There might be some exceptions, but that's I will I will say that's the the environment that I was used to. Um, you need a lot of training. You need a lot of knowledge. And I did want that. I did want a lot of training. And kind of maybe it was because of my own insecurities. You know, like I'm coming from a completely different field. People are not going to take me in their labs unless I know how to do things before. Um, So when I finished my master's, I started to look for jobs and PhDs in Spain. I went back Mm -hmm. to my hometown. I started to look for jobs. But unfortunately, back at the time, this was uh, 2014. Um, I started to look for jobs, apply for PhDs. Nobody was taking me in, but not because of my background. It was because of the crisis around science in Spain, unfortunately. And I think this is still tangible nowadays. There was a big crisis in terms of scientific jobs. Um, there was, there were people, you know, that because I was even offering to to do my PhD thesis for free, you know, like, mm. okay, if I live with my mom, don't pay me a salary, but let me do your PhD, my PhD in your lab, and they were like, I cannot even pay for your insurance. Yeah. There's wow. no way I can host you in my lab uh, as much yeah. as you want to. So. That was uh, that must have been
1: quite, yeah, disheartening. Like I mean, did you ever sort of think you know this is never going to happen? like for, me?
0: for sure, I am a person that I am really active, as you probably both know
1: <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> i I always have to do things. I always I love working. I love my job. And at that point, I was completely thriving in what I could do, you know, like and I wanted more. I wanted to learn more. I wanted to do more lab hours. Um, which I kind of did, but <laughs> I wanted to do more. You know, I wanted to be more professional at my job. And it was really disheartening because you never, like back at the time, if when I was looking for jobs, if you will tell me you have to leave your country to do your PhD, I will have to tell you, no, sorry, I'm not leaving my country. My family is yeah. here. My friends are here. Why do I need to leave my country to, to do something that I love if I can do it surrounded by my friends and family. Mm. Um, but, you know, sometimes you need to think about what are your priorities. For me, my career was a really big priority because I was already investing a great deal of time. You know, my undergrad was five years. My master's were two years. Uh, I knew a PhD was going to be minimum like three or four years. So... <laughs> I had to invest the time at that time. And most importantly, that's what I wanted to do. Mm. So unfortunately, I had to start looking elsewhere. Uh, Mm. At the beginning, I started to look outside my hometown, kind of like a small step, you know.
1: Yeah, Uh, still in Spain. Yeah,
0: Still in Spain, but it was the same scenario. There was... um, And it was even worse a scenario because if I live outside of my hometown, I need to pay for my rent. I need to Mm -hmm. sustain myself, you know. It's even Um, more inaccessible, right? Yes. Um, So it was even worse and it was even more discouraging. And for a period of time, I would say like a couple of months, I stopped looking. I was... Like, uh, this is really difficult. This is not going to happen. And again, you know, I think I suffer a bit from uh, imposter syndrome from back then, from my undergrad, especially throughout the transition of the fields. Um, you know, you always think uh, like you are not going to make it that you don't uh, belong here, which is ironically because that's the title <laughs> of this podcast. <laughs> Still
2: getting but, a bit meta. Uh, yes. Um,
0: <laughs> You kind of think that you don't belong there, you know, like you are not going to make it. And yeah, it's just I don't know how and when I can't remember, but I started to send CVs outside Spain. One day I started to look for labs. I like what they do. And I started to send CVs. uh, I started to send a lot because a lot of people were not replying because I was not asking for a PC position. I was asking for like internships or research technician because I wanted to increase even more my knowledge and my practical lab management before going to, to PCC. Exactly, yeah. I wanted yeah. a bit more of encouraging also for myself before applying for a PC. Um Yes, I think Sean has a question.
2: <laughs> you know, so I was going to say, it, it sounds like, Obviously, you had quite a um, quite a, a tough journey, right? And clearly you needed to show quite a bit of resilience to get through all yeah. of those barriers. Um, and I was just wondering, in regards to kind of motivation and drive, uh, you know, against challenges, being that you know having to even leave your country to to, to go to pursue a career. Yeah. Where, where did that come from? Was it was it just within yourself that even though, you know, you you, you, you said that you were expressing doubts, you know, you just mm. like, I, I really want to be here no matter what. Did you have role models growing up? You're like, oh, I want to, you know, this person did it so I can do it. How, how was it? Was it more internal or did you look to role models to kind of
0: inspire you? Well, in terms of scientific role models, I didn't have any. I am the first one and I think the last one. <laughs> in my family to be a scientist unless my future kids they decide to go for a scientific career um, I, but yeah I didn't have anyone in my family that was a scientist but I will say as a moral role model I will say is my grandmother uh, she was uh, unfortunately she passed away in 2016 uh, end of 2016 she uh, was a widow from really early age and she had to work a lot to support my mom. She was a really hard worker. She used to work all day. She was a chef in a school. Um, so that's where also my cooking skills come from. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, she was always, um, she showed me all my values in terms of work ethics, perseverance, uh, working hard, uh, fight for what you want, because she did it herself, you know. So yeah. when I used to talk to her, when I had these doubts or when I was like, oh, grandma, I don't know what to say, or In Spain, we say Yaya to to refer to our grandmas. So I was like, Mm. Yaya, I don't know what to do. Um, I'm doubting myself. I'm never going to achieve this point. And she had no idea what my job was. She had no Mm. idea what science was, what my field or what was a lab. But she was always telling me like, you know, you are a really perseverant person. You have done this undergrad. You have done this master's against whatever was thinking of you and you are even thinking about going outside spain if that's not perseverance tell me what it is Mm. because Mm. and whenever you want to go if you are honest if you fight for what you want and you work for your dreams you are gonna get it it doesn't matter how long it takes because perseverance and honesty is the key yeah
1: i can i completely agree i I really i think that's really powerful mm. and saying that so it's Really, about like sometimes when we have these things that uh, they seem like completely unachievable sort of tasks, like mm. it is about just persevering, and you seem to have really, really got that instilled in you. So, thank you to your grandma. Uh, oh, for yes, that. Also, <laughs> thank you for your cooking skills because you do make a, a, a <laughs> lot of <choice>. <laughs> <laughs> I
2: think that's. That's one of the most appreciated things, actually. Yeah,
0: yeah. You guys definitely benefit from my baking because whenever I do baking, it's you know these really large batches, and then I I don't really eat them myself because it's a lot. I live by myself, yeah. you know. Nothing yeah. well, to take them all home. <laughs> I took true. home three cakes.
1: Yeah. <laughs> That's uh, pretty. But so I guess so in the journey, I, I guess we've seen, you now. you've come from your undergrad, you've done your master's, you've done your internship. Now you've been speaking to your grandma about persevering and, you know, she yes. knows you wanted to go outside of Spain. And, and you know, so she's been a, a big focus in your life. So just tell us a little bit about how you got to, to where you are right now in the UK, in, in Norwich, at the University of East Anglia.
0: So, like I said, I was uh, like sending a lot of CVs outside Spain. Um, there was a point that it become uh, uncontrollable. I sent a lot of CVs because a lot of people were not uh, replying to me. I mean, this is normal. It happens everywhere. It was nothing related to me. Uh, and then I remember one day I got one email, um, like, from Norwich, and then I need to confess, I didn't know what Norwich was. <laughs> I didn't know where Norwich was. I was like, okay, Norwich... That's fine. Somebody wants That's me in perfect. their lab, but I need to Google where this is. Is this the UK? Yeah. Because I Google, like, I sent this CV to the university. You know, I came across mm-hmm. a paper published in this university that I really like. I didn't even look where the university was. I just liked it. And I was like, oh, let me just send this CV to this uh, PI. Um So they replied to me, Uh, it was um, from the school of pharmacy, but it was not Mm. uh, from uh, Dr. Said's lab, it was from another lab that I was working beforehand. And they basically wanted to do an interview to me about my background, because they had like um, organic chemistry project, and they needed molecular biologists to kind of uh, step into the cell culture and kind of biology perspective of that organic chemistry synthesis. So That was my first full conversation in English. Uh, It Mm. was through Skype, obviously, and it went really, really bad (laughs) (laughs) because the person who was interviewing me, her image froze for the entirety of the interview. So Mm. I didn't even know if they were, you know, like nodding or they were okay with what I was saying. It was really bad.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Maybe they just were dead friends.
0: (laughs) Yes. but yeah, they they really like my background, and I also told them that I was starting to be interested about the materials perspective of uh, science. I wanted obviously to reinforce my cell culture skills, but I also wanted to start to learn about, um, you know, organic synthesis and kind of uh, being in the whole pipeline, if that makes sense. Mm. So they took me on board for a small six to seven months internship. Uh, so yeah, all of a sudden, after two to three Skype session, I told my family, okay, I'm moving out of Spain. Um, oh. I'm only gonna be away for six months. Uh, spoiler alert: This now I am in my sixth year in the UK, so <laughs> <laughs> <Just> <laughs> it, uh, it was a bit longer than six months. Um, yeah. yeah, my whole family was freaking out. They were like,
2: mm, in a good way.
0: In or a good uh, way, yes. In a good
2: way, okay. They
0: were happy for me, but they were a bit, you know, they were scared. They were like, yeah. uh, none of us has ever left Spain, l- even our hometown. So they were like, okay, um, you, we are here if you want to come back. That's perfectly fine. Um, so, yeah, I just packed my stuff uh, in a really big suitcase. <laughs> I go on the plane. I went on the plane and then I just went to Norwich. Uh, it, it was one of the most scariest day in my life um. because when I landed in Stansted. I didn't understand anyone. <laughs> I couldn't understand anything that anyone was, was saying. Mm-hmm. And I had a massive block. I didn't even know how to uh, how to say where's the bus to Norwich. Mm-hmm. Like it was mm-hmm. so you know, the whole plane ride, it was like almost two hours. Um I was crying the whole two hours. <laughs> I was I was frightened of everything. Sorry. Like it was I've never been so scared of my life. Like, in that plane, I realized how easy my master was in comparison to, to that thing that I was going to do. Yeah. Again, imposter syndrome kicks in. It's like, okay, I'm going to leave in, like, barely a month. They are not going to like how I work. They are not going to understand me. This is going to be really difficult. What what am I getting myself into? Is this really worth it? Uh, am I really going to success uh, let alone do any scientific discovery. Well, you mm. know, all these kind of things. Um, so, yeah, it was really scary. Um, my very first days in the university, I now that I think about them, I smile because mm. I can see how little I was feeling and how lost I was. Um, and now, you know, I know this department from A to Z. So it's it's kind of, you know, like uh, I smile remembering this, but it was really scary. Um, but I loved that internship. It was really fulfilling. I learned organic chemistry. Uh, I had to synthesize uh, peptides, which is like small pieces of proteins. That was really scary. Uh, <laughs> and if someone from that lab is listening to me now, they are probably laughing because my <laughs> organic chemistry days were... <laughs> interesting to say the least um but I learned so much you know Uh, I was also given a lot of freedom so I could manage my own my own time I could manage my days I learned a lot about uh you know my time management in the lab how to organize my experiments how to analyze my data how to present my data I even had a small um a small length um summer student for like couple of weeks three weeks so I even started to learn how to teach which is something that I've never done before Uh, and that's the point where I discover how much I love teaching Um, so that was my first internship Uh, again it was really challenging but it was really fulfilling and then when the internship was coming to the end obviously again the question raised like okay what do I do do I come back to Spain do I stay here so I was like Okay, I need to take a decision about this. So I came across uh, my boss's work, uh, Aram Saeed. He was offering a research technician position in tissue engineering. So this is how I first came across tissue engineering, because throughout this early internship, it was really good to do the organic chemistry part. It was really interesting. But I was kind of more interested to know the, like, how do how do i say it? like the tailoring of these materials you know like how can i create these materials the way that i want to create them and study their application in a particular disease or regenerative purpose so that's how i came across my uh, boss's work uh, like i said he was offering like a small research technician position um i applied and well it went well because he gave me the yeah. job and six years really? later, I'm still in his lab. <laughs> so I, like I, I, think, I think I'm doing something right. Uh, <laughs> he's still taking yeah. me on board. Um, so, yeah, this is how I came across the tissue engineering field. Um, and it has been really intense because we we had together like two research technician positions, kind of like overlapping contracts. And then we applied for my GSD grant. Uh mm. I did my PhD, I passed my PhD and now I am in my postdocs position still in his lab. So, oh, yeah, that's really
2: great. See, yeah I, think, really I think that's a nice that's a nice like journey almost. So we've started off uh, in, oh, in Spain in, in marine <laughs> biology. So we started off in the sea and then uh, we went th- we then went through to high throughput uh, cancer therapeutics screenings and then we went to peptide synthesis and now we're at tissue engineering uh, what's oh, next yes. space i don't <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, but seriously what wh- where do you see yourself in the next 10 years or so what's what's the plan is there one it there is out. a
0: plan there is a really concrete plan <laughs> oh, like a spreadsheet um, <laughs> oh yes uh, i i love spreadsheets um so So far, I'm I'm still in my postdocs. Uh, My contract is running for a bit more uh, in ARAMS group, uh, which I'm really happy about it. Um, And then my plan is to be a PI. I want to keep myself in academia. I already work in industry, like I said, and I really love it. But uh, thanks to this teaching stuff, um, also in the School of Pharmacy, we have a lot of pharmacy students in the fourth year that they always come to our lab. For like uh, seven to eight weeks, and every year we have like three, four, five students, and I just love it. I, I love teaching. Um, I've I've teach both of you to do several things in the lab, and I, I just love it. You know, um, it's not about demonstrating that I have a like a higher knowledge than my students. It's it's more about you know imparting this wisdom in people and see them later on doing these things by themselves. Like I love that feeling. I love that now you guys are so independent in things that I that I teach you. You know, I love that feeling and and I want to keep that in my career. I love science. I love my job. I, like, I think you guys have seen as well that it's really difficult to keep me out of my bench. Um, I, I just love it. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I love the teaching. Yeah, um, I can.
1: I- can confirm. I, I came as <laughs> a uh, now as a slowly master student, and then here we are, uh, some years later. But it's really interesting. So I mean, it's interesting to see where you think your uh, your work is going to take you, and, and being a PI. So, but obviously in this journey, you've had so many obstacles, so much experience, so many things learned. But so and then and it's I guess we should mention. So this is all your idea, this podcast that we're talking on right now. So do you want to tell us? You know. How did this idea come about? You know, what is it that you want to, to gain from this podcast? And do you just want to tell us a little bit about that story and how that yeah. fits into your, your plans?
0: Well, there is something that I have not mentioned in the entirety of this interview, which is one major challenge on top of all of these challenges that I mentioned, which is uh, being a woman. Uh, needless to say that in my whole career in my environment here in the uk i've never felt less because of my gender never in any of my uh, positions and uh, with any boss with you guys i've never felt less because i'm a woman and mm. that's amazing but i am al- also aware that i'm lucky uh, some people they really have these challenges because of their gender i did feel discrimination because i was a woman in previous jobs and it's not nice um this is something you know like you might say an idea and a man will say it 50 seconds after you and all of a sudden this idea counts more than your original contribution this is really challenging and it's really really discouraging and if you couple that with imposter syndrome (laughs) that's even worse you know yeah um so i am conscious that there's a lot of bias about being a woman in science you know this um and I was in a in a cab going somewhere, I can't remember. And then the cab driver, he was a man. He was like, so what do you do? And I said, oh, I'm a scientist. I work in this and that. And I recently passed my Viva, so I'm a doctor. And he was like, wow, you are a scientist. And I said, yeah. And he said, oh, you don't look like a scientist. And I was like, oh, there we go. <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah. I was generally interested. And I was like, why don't I look like a scientist? And he was like, well, you know, you're so pretty and then there was a really awkward silence in the cab and i was trying to not bring my spanish anger in the conversation (laughs) and i was like okay let me tell you that i think you have a really big misconception of scientists but most importantly of women in general Mm. it doesn't matter if i'm pretty or not i am a scientist because i earned my place in my career and because i fight for what i wanted despite of my gender it should not mm. be a matter that I'm a woman to do science. He shut up after that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I would. <laughs> the whole ride was in silence, and then I paid for the ride, and I was like, okay, bye. <laughs> but So I will say from a couple of years ago, I've started to become really interested in the role that women have in science, and mm. the bias and misconception that there are around women working in science. So I have participated in a lot of campaigns. I've given talks in my university, some of the talks you guys have seen as well. Uh, I've wrote blogs online as well. But I thought something was missing. I felt that I was not contributing enough. And I am generally interested to know about stories of a diverse array of women. And most importantly, to inspire the next generation of girls or young women who, like me, once thought... I'm not going to be able to do this because of A, my background, B, my gender, or whatever reason they want to, you know, they have in their heads. So that came the idea of this podcast because I thought it was a really accessible way to interview amazing women that I do see every day uh, throughout my scrolling on Twitter. You know, I see these amazing women that they do a lot of stuff and I want to be a part of showcasing that. I want to show to the world what women can do. And Mm. I also want to introduce in this podcast uh, male ambassadors, because I know uh, males like you guys that support what we do and that, you know, you guys have never thought any different of me because of my gender. And I think this is amazing. And again, I'm going to say that I think I'm lucky to be in an environment like this. so this is this was the idea of this podcast you know i want to interview as many women as possible and you know couple with the male ambassadors and i want to show to the world what women can do and what they do to earn a place in science every day away from any bias or misconception about you are a woman so you can do less than a man or you are too pretty to be a scientist or oh you have become a mom recently you are going to really suffer in your career you know things like this.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I completely I think it's really important to, to remember that as well because you know, I, I've also been fortunate enough to be in labs with lots of you know senior female positions, uh, women mm. who really know their stuff, and it's been amazing to learn from them in that kind of regards. But you know, we have to appreciate that some we're fortunate that that is not the case throughout yeah. all of academia, that's not the case throughout universities all across the country, yeah. uh, and you know, it trickles right down to um to kids in school you know what sort of subjects you know they're being encouraged to to take on and stuff and so yeah I think it's really important this podcast and what you're doing um yeah uh, sure I guess I guess you probably I hope you agree with me <laughs> <laughs> Other
2: you know, kids picking different careers and I think there is that preconception that certain mm. jobs and certain roles are mm. for men and certain jobs and certain roles are for women and, and you do see that in the split between Courses taken both at A levels and at university, and then going up the academic hierarchy. Um, so of well, course,
0: the, the higher you go, the less women you see. You know. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, and even right now, I mean, there's there's uh, at UEA there's tons of female, you know, PhD students, Undergrad. but yeah. and undergrads in like biology yeah. and you know different subjects. But when you actually get to the PhD level, it does drop off significantly. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah really important. drastically. Yeah. yeah.
0: I think this is um problem as well with a lot of universities you know I think a part of it is because you know when women became moms um, you obviously need to stop for taking care of the child and then perhaps I don't know if women get get discouraged uh, to follow up their careers but even if you don't become a mom there is also a dropout a significant dropout uh, of Mm. women in high jerarchy and this is another of the reasons why I really want to follow my academic path and become a PI, you know, I want to have a group of people, you know, of PhD students, postdocs, whatever, I want to have a group of people that it is inclusive, they feel included, they all feel they are the same, that we are all at the same level. And especially with the female members of the group, I want them to to realize that they can do it, and they will do it well, you know, and they will succeed. And I also want to lead by example. You know, I still see my PR career very far. I still want to deep a bit more on my postdocs before being prepared to apply for lectureship positions. But I want to also lead through an example to my group, to my future group, you know, um, yeah, yeah. that we, we, we can achieve those positions and in this podcast, I want to interview uh, PhD students. I want to interview postdocs, PIs, um, senior research in industry positions, perhaps, because I also want to give examples of women in different stages of their career, how they all succeed in whatever point of their career they are.
1: Yeah, I think that's a really
2: nice sentiment um, to kind of wrap up on. But before yeah. we all move on, just to put you, <laughs> on, the, just to put you on the spot... Do you have any catchy take-home uh, words of wisdom for someone who maybe is an undergrad or they're leaving school and they're considering mm-hmm. a career in science? D- do you have any words of w- wisdom to impart?
0: I'll say believe in yourself, no matter where, what people say around you, and just keep going, keep keep swimming, mm-hmm. like, you know, in the Nemo. Uh, <laughs> like in the nemo uh film and it fits with
2: marine biology oh yeah
0: I (laughs) actually. (laughs) you know like just keep swimming keep going it doesn't matter how long the path looks because we tend to look at it from far but if you look at it from other perspective you are actually in the right position to become your next step whatever that is
1: yeah yeah i'm i'm really excited to to (laughs) listen (laughs) this podcast to to learn more about you as you take on the interview role but hopefully we get to oh yeah to hear more about your your experiences and loads of other women in science work to hear yes. about what they what they have to say and, and their lessons that they can pass on to everyone to not just other girls but to anyone listening about you know research, academia, inclusivity. <laughs> you know, I'm really excited and happy to have been a guest on this uh very first it's episode.
0: been so fun.
1: <laughs> yeah
2: me too. Thanks for your time Noah.
0: Thank yeah, you it's been
1: great. and stay Lovely. tuned
0: for the next guests because I have a really oh. nice panel line out already. So just stay tuned yeah. for the next interviews. Can't
1: Absolutely, wait. can't wait. Yay. <laughs> 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 let's hear some tunes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Shout
2: out to Joe. Oh yes,
0: yes. By the way, Joe, the music is is great for the podcast. So also just check, uh, you know, his music because he was the producer of the. The music of this podcast. He's on the credits of the podcast yeah. description if you want to check it um in case you wonder who's that voice that sings in the background.
1: Yeah. <laughs> That's why I'm here to plug myself. Exactly.
0: Yes,
2: is, it's a very elaborate plugin.
0: Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: This podcast
0: then come and check out me <laughs> and also, also shout out to sean for all the tech support you know i'm a grandma in this kind of thing so also shout out for the million questions you know about computers and things <laughs> no
1: but no this is going to be great i'm really excited for the future of this podcast the thank i belong guys. here podcast.
0: yes exactly <laughs> thank you guys awesome. I don't understand it, man, she talking,
1: feeling magic And I always start to panic, cause I know I gotta have it These eyes, they do me damage, yeah It's where get girl's bad as well, so I said I would manage Yeah, they're 21, not savage, yeah I don't understand it, man, she talking, feeling magic